Coming up today, Pastor Ray Bentley brings a message titled, Authority and Power. You have to realize that the word authority comes directly from the word author. When there's authority, there's an author. You know, so people might have a question, well, what does this mean here? Then go to the author. The authority of God's word comes from the author himself. Ask the author. Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. In the military, there's a chain of command. In a business, there's often an organizational chart. Even among the birds at your bird feeder, there's a pecking order. Today, Pastor Ray brings us insight on the authority of God's kingdom. We'll uncover some new dimensions of his power and influence. Here's Pastor Ray to begin. We've got a a powerful message. It's called Authority and Power. And we are in the last week of Jesus' life. Now, uh, if you have a Bible, let's open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 32. And so what happens here is that kind of those who are in charge and control and in power and Religious authorities come to Jesus, hey, you know, by what authority do you do all of these things? And Jesus responds to them. And so this, where we are, where we've landed this last section of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be here for a little while, but we've already seen Palm Sunday, and literally by the end of the week is going to be Good Friday, where he's crucified, and then on the third day rise from the dead. So it's only one week. Matthew, the first writer of the Gospel of Matthew, spends a lot of time giving us where Jesus was, what he taught, what he said, what he did in that final week of his earthly life and ministry. And, and there's, this is one of those just very important, powerful messages. So beginning in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23. It says, now when he came into the temple. So Jesus, this whole last week, he's probably staying on the Mount of Olives, and then he would walk down the Kidron Valley and back up to Mount Moriah where the temple mount was. So he came into the temple. So that's where we would come every morning uh, there to teach, to disciple, to prepare. And the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching. And they said, by what authority... Are you doing these things? And by the way, who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, the baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from earth or men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, well, if we say from heaven, He will say to us, well, why then didn't you believe him? But if we say it's from men, we fear the multitudes, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered, and Jesus, and they said, we do not know. And he said to them, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So the authority 
of God's word comes from the author himself. Jesus gives, will, after this, he gives a series of three parables. We'll give the first of the three at the end of the message. We'll look at the next one uh, the next time we get together. And he's answering the question of the chief priests and the elders to explain by what authority he did these extraordinary miracles. As the leaders of the nation, they had every right uh, to ask. But we have to be honest, uh, we're amazed at their ignorance. For three years, Jesus has been teaching, and he has been giving miracles and signs and wonders and ample proof that what he says is true and is vindicated and validated by the demonstration of the power of God. But what, what has just happened, not only the miracles, but if you remember, the thing, one of the first things apparently, right after Palm Sunday that Jesus did, is he cleansed the temple. He, he was angry. He literally, the Bible says, made a whip of cords and started snapping that thing uh, all over the temple and turning tables upside down. Coins are flying everywhere. Animals are flying, and the birds are flying, and the sacrifices. And, and then he stood there yelling and accusing, you've made my father's house a den of thieves and of robbers, a house of merchandise, my father's house should be called a house of prayer. And then he kind of stood guard and made sure nobody that day at that moment did any other exchange. Well, so these religious leaders, they get together, hey, by what authority do you do these things? What gives you the right to do what you have done? And I do think that it's interesting that as Jesus uh, uses wisdom here, I want you to note, Jesus did not answer their question. Now, there are many of us, you have family, you have friends, you have relatives, you have people that you, that, you know, they're not with you, they're not at church, maybe they're not walking with God, or maybe they used to, and now they don't, and you're wanting to win them. And so when it does come up, a lot of times they come to you with a confrontation, with a question. And they're like, well, you know, the church. And then they, you know, fill in the blank. The church has done this, and the church has done that. And then you know, they will make another accusation, you know, pastors and priests, and then they do this, and, and it, you know, if there's a God of love, then how come there's all this horror and all of this stuff that's happening in the world? How can I believe in a God of love? I can't tell you when I was a young pastor how many times something like that, and I would dive in, and I would start answering and defending and debating and arguing and getting into it and all of that. And, you know, I, I did okay, but I don't know that I did all that well. And then I kind of, you know, you look at Jesus and I learned something from him. Just because they ask a question doesn't mean you have to answer it. So, in fact, what Jesus did in this circumstance was, so by the way, take note, just because they make an act, usually it's not so much a question as it is an accusation. Just what, they weren't really asking Jesus by what authority. They're saying, you don't have the right to do what you're doing. They're accusing him. He did not answer that accusation. But here's what he did do. He answered a question with another question. Ah, that's smart. So I started trying to do that. They would come to me and they'd go, I can't believe in a God of love, you know, this and that, and they would go through their litany. And then they would say, you know, I just can't believe. And I said, you know, that's very interesting because for the very same reasons, all of the horror, all of the war, all of the abuse, all of the greed, all of the selfishness, all of the hurt and the pain being caused by human beings, 
I've lost my faith in man, but my faith in God keeps going up. That's who I'm losing my faith in is man. And we're, we're, the, we're supposedly the smartest generation of human beings, more technology, more knowledge, more power, but has it made us any less warmongers, haters, you know, all the problems. We have the same problems they had in ancient times, simpler times. So apparently that's not the solution. I've lost my faith in man, but my faith in God has grown even greater. How could that be? Because God knew that this was our problem. God gave a remedy, and that remedy for suffering is found in the cross. I just go right to the cross of Jesus Christ. So we learn a little bit from Jesus. Now, Jesus also answered a question with a question. He goes, well, so I'll ask you, and if you answer my question, then I'll answer yours. He takes them back to the ministry of John, which was brilliant. The people believed in John. Now, you have to realize that John the Baptist, basically the people, the populace, said that guy's a prophet. He's not in it for the money. He lives out in the desert. He eats, you know, locusts and honey. He preaches to the mountains and, and it's repentance and it's touched a nerve in the whole nation. Everybody knew he was a prophet. Israel had not had a prophet in 400 years. That's a long time. You go to the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, is about almost 400 years earlier. So when a real, like where the whole people and populace goes, that guy's from God. You may not agree with him, but that guy's a holy man. Don't mess with him. He's a prophet. And so Jesus brings them back to John. So John, was, he, was his power and authority of heaven or of earth? And if they said it was of heaven, which is what the people said, then Jesus would say, well, then why didn't you believe the prophet of God? Because that prophet pointed to me and said, he's the guy. He's the Messiah. He is the Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And if they said, no, it's not of God, they'd be dealing with a mob that was after them. So authority. To begin with the idea of authority, you have to realize that the word authority comes directly from the word author. When there's authority, there's an author. Now, I've written a few books, and, uh, you know, so people might have a question about that, and if they have a question, well, what does this mean here, and Ray's book, whatever, then go to the author and ask, because I know what I was thinking when I wrote it, I'm the author of it, this was on my mind, here's what I was trying to say, maybe I didn't say it the best way, but on the author, ask the author. So also with God, the authority of any work is the authority of the author, and the author is God himself. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. Since Pastor Ray went to heaven, so many listeners have shared comments on what his teaching means to them. I met Pastor Ray when I was really young. Looking back, I realized he was pretty young too. I remember him praying for me as I was going through a challenging time. His kindness and great faith encouraged me. I can hardly think of another person who packed as much life into so relatively few years. I look forward to seeing him again one day. Although he's gone home, his teachings continue here on the radio thanks to the support from listeners like you. If you'd like to partner with Ray Bentley Ministries and Maranatha Radio, just go to our website, 
at www.raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Paul the Apostle is writing to a young man named Timothy, and he says something very powerful and very profound. Let's read it all together. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You'll notice in this scripture, and I think it's also in your notes, the word inspiration is underlined. And the reason it's underlined is because that word, inspiration, the original Greek meaning means, what is inspiration? It means literally God breathed. So read that again and think about it again. All scripture is given by the breath of God. By the way, in both Hebrew and Greek, so Hebrew the Old Testament basically, and Greek in the New, the words in Hebrew and Greek for spirit and breath are synonymous. So God breathed means God's spirit. The authority behind all of Scripture is the authority of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God. He is the author of the Bible. And then note what he says, all Scripture, not some Scripture. There are some that will say, okay, look, yeah, I believe there's parts of the Bible basically that I agree with, and that's authoritative, but there's other parts. It's old-fashioned, it's out of date, it doesn't make it for modern times. I don't, certain parts I don't accept. But that's not what the declaration here is. All Scripture. That means literally from the very first verse of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. All the way to the very last verse of the book of Revelation, all Scripture is God-breathed, inspired, written by the Holy Spirit. That means the whole book of Ezra is the inspired Word of God. The book of Nehemiah, the book of Esther, what a powerful story. What's unique about the, the book of Esther, one of the unique things, the name God isn't mentioned one time. But man, the story has God written all over it. It's powerful, and it's God-breathed. There's a little tiny book called Joel, written by the prophet Joel, that has a lot to say about the last days, that God would pour His Spirit out on all flesh. And those three short chapters are all divinely inspired, God-breathed. The book of Zechariah, all of those scriptures are inspired by God. Now, as for interpretation, there is only one authorized interpreter. And that is the author who wrote it in the first place. God is really the only authorized interpreter of the Bible. As I've said before, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. It comments on itself. You can compare one part to another part, and it will explain it and give a new layer and new meaning and new understanding. God interprets His own Word. He tells us plainly what He said and what He meant. 
Now, there's another verse in the New Testament. This is the Apostle Peter, one of the kind of inner circle, even among Jesus' disciples of Peter, James, and John. And he wrote this in his second letter, recorded in the New Testament, inspired by God. God breathed. Let's read it out loud. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So that kind of is explaining, under divine inspiration, how Scripture came about, and that you don't get to interpret, you know, how you want it, because prophecy never comes by the will of man. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting, though, is that those who wrote the Bible were all weak. They were all flawed. They all were sinners saved by God's amazing grace. And even one of the most famous of them who wrote quite a bit of the Bible is a man named David. David was a big sinner, but he was also a big repenter. And he became and was a big worshiper of God. And God said, and I love this, that David is a man after my own heart. Why did God say that? He didn't pick some guy that was all perfect. He said, David, why would you pick David, who was such a great sinner? Because he was also a great repenter, and he was a great worshiper, and he gives hope to all of mankind that you can have a heart pleasing unto the Lord. Did anybody find that encouraging? I find that very encouraging. That, that no matter what mistakes or failures, even the big ones that you have made, you could be a man or a woman after the heart of God, that God goes, that's my boy, that's my son, David. He let David write virtually the majority of the Psalms, the most beautiful, powerful, prophetic, poetic, musical verses in the Bible. But they were flawed. So the question then becomes, well, how can the Bible be infallible if it was written by people who were fallible? So here is, again, let's let the Bible answer to the Bible and comment on and about itself. Here's just one, Psalm 12, verse 6. Let's read this out loud. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now, you know, I've mentioned this over the years, but probably there are a number here that don't know. I started pastoring when I was 20 years of age, so I, I had a pretty short window in between graduating high school and starting my pastoral calling and ministry, and I had moved up to Orange County to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I was going to basically church every night or having Bible studies every night. I was living in a house ministry called the House of Psalms. Uh, while I was there, I had to have a full-time job, and so I found a job literally across the street from Calvary Costa Mesa at a place called Bob Seaman Christian Jewelers. I always kind of liked jewelry, so I went in there, and I was like the lowest guy in the totem pole, which means you're the polisher, and you get the wax molds, and then you get them ready for the casting and so forth, but I had an older guy. He was kind of the, you know, the, at the top tier, and his name was Mike, and he would come and go, hey, Ray, 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 come on, you, you got to see, you want to see this, man. So he would bring me over, and that's when they would take the little blocks of silver or gold, and they would put it into the iron pot, and then they would heat the thing up, and he would stand back, boom, and it would just heat up, and he got this big smile on his face, wait, wait, wait till you see it. And then I said, what? And he goes, man, you've never seen anything more beautiful in your life 
than silver or gold that has been heated so hot it melts. Molten gold is like divine. It's heavenly. Molten silver is incredible. And so, we, you know, wow, we would look and we would watch that and then you heat it again and, and up to the surface would come these weird colors, green, purples, yellows, different stuff, and then kind of this stuff would form. And, and what's that? Oh, that's all the impurities. It's zinc and copper and other metals that are mixed in with it because the gold and silver are heavier, they're down at the bottom, and all of the lighter stuff comes to the surface, and we skim it off, until finally you can just see your reflection in the molten silver or gold. Now it's ready to be poured into making jewelry and rings and earrings and all of that. Well, it's interesting that here in Psalm 12, he's talking about what we do today in modern times for jewelry is what they did thousands of years ago, and notice, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth. They would use even clay pots. They would heat it up. They would melt it, and they would do it again and again to purify it, to get all of the contaminants out of it, purified seven times. So a furnace of earth, a clay vessel, if you will, filled with the fire of God, cleansed and purified, so the pure word comes out. So what the word is saying is God can use earthen vessels and God can use clay pots and he can put his pure gold into it, heat it up and fire it, and out comes the pure word of God. Does that make sense? So that's what he's saying. Okay, so note this. Jesus defeated the devil by quoting Scripture. At the end of uh, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is getting baptized by his cousin John the Baptist, and now Jesus is ready to minister. This is the three-year ministry that will literally turn the world upside down and bring heaven to the earth. But before Jesus performs one miracle, one deliverance, one resurrection, one healing, He is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. How did Jesus use the Scriptures? Here we find in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Let's read this out loud together. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, let's look. He did this not only for himself to demonstrate who he is, but as a demonstration for all of his followers and all of his children and all of his disciples to follow. Live by the word of God. Answer the devil, not with your own abilities and debate, Answer the devil with the word of God. He will lose every single time over and over again. And you will be set free and God will use you mightily. Great insight today from Pastor Ray Bentley from our studies in chapter one of Matthew. Glad you're along today here on Maranatha Radio. Now today's study is titled Authority and Power. If you missed any part, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. We hope you'll stop by our site today. 
When you're there, you can leave a few words in tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And under media, you'll notice three words, watch, radio, and Devo. Three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights. Plus, click about and find out more about Pastor Ray and find out how you can come into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And at the bottom of the page, you can sign up to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions via email free of charge. Plus, you'll find other spiritual growth books and resources from Pastor Ray, including his new book called The Final Witness, an eye-opening prophetic fiction novel. So many are enjoying the full five-book series called The Elijah Chronicles. You can, too. And RayBentley.com is always where you'll find the best deals on Pastor Ray's resources. You can also make a donation right there on the site. Your investments help bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Our mailing address is Maranatha Radio, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of Matthew. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha bringing the message of Christ soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.